0: Welcome to Evangel Church. Our mission is to bring people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at evangelchurch.com. My name is Pastor Chris, and again, we want to welcome you to Evangel Church, and uh, just trust that you're having a great week, that God is meeting you in a special way. Uh, some of you, maybe you had a very rough week. Um, here's the thing that doesn't matter. When we get into God's presence like this and we're able to sit, it's like all of that can just be pushed away for a moment, and we can be reminded that we have a God who loves us, a God who has a plan for us, and a God who's worthy of all of our praise in spite of our circumstances, because he's worthy of it all. Um, we're in a series of messages right now, and the title of that series is called Come and See. And these three words have the power to change everything. Come and see. It's an invitation To come and experience something. And in the Bible, we see that these words are used at different times whenever Jesus is walking the earth in the Gospels and people, they invite others to come and see Him, to come and experience Him for themselves. And we see in those stories powerful things take place. Well, I want to tell you today that the same thing holds true that we have a God who is alive that has the power to heal, that everything we read about as we read in Scripture, that God's still working in those ways today. And because of that, we can invite others to come and see and experience Jesus for themselves. Um, we're, we're looking forward to, to this series uh, of messages. They're going to lead us all the way into Easter, to Easter Sunday, when we get to invite people to come and see the risen one. Come and see Jesus who is alive and how that changes everything. Last week, as we started this series, we were talking... In John chapter 1, we're talking about the power of bringing people to Jesus. And I don't know about you, I want to be someone that brings people to Jesus. Because someone brought me to Jesus. They loved me, they cared about me that much. And I was able to share with you my story last week about how God changed my life. I was someone that didn't believe in God. I didn't believe that God was real. I didn't believe he had a plan for my life. I didn't believe he loved me. And yet someone named Mike, he was a friend of mine. He knew Jesus. Jesus had changed his life. And he had... The courage and and the boldness to share that with me. And then he had the care to invite me to a a meeting, to a, a church camp where I was able to go away. And while I was there, I heard for the first time ever, I heard an articulation, a sharing of God's love. I heard the message about what Jesus has done and how he died on the cross for my sins how I could have a relationship with him, and it changed my life, and I would have never, and if you would go back in my high school years, if you'd go back and you would panel and survey a group of people that knew me before I met Jesus, uh, zero out of a hundred would say he's going to be a pastor one day and doing this, but that's the power of God to change someone's life, amen? How many of you could say the same thing? Someone would look at your life today and look at who you used to be and say, eh, <laughs> no, what happened? What's going on here? Aren't you glad that Jesus changes everything? Aren't you glad that he can forgive us of our sins? Aren't you glad that he has the power to heal and to save and to set free? Um, God's given us a story, and today we're going to explore this in a a powerful way. But before that, I want to ground us in the big idea for this series. The big idea for this series, Come and See, is this, is that the byproduct of believing in Jesus is bringing people to Jesus. The byproduct of believing in Jesus is bringing people to Jesus. If you come to him and you experience him and you put your faith in him, the natural outflowing of that is that you bring others to do the very same. You want them to experience what you have experienced. We see this evidenced in the Gospels. We talked about it last week where John the Baptist in John chapter 1, he, he has been making the way and preparing for Jesus to come. As soon as he sees him, he takes his followers and he says, go, follow Jesus now. There he is. And of those followers, one of them's name was Andrew. And Andrew was someone who you don't hear about a lot in the Bible. He's not a guy that would get up at different times and preach messages and fill auditoriums full of people. But Andrew, someone who we don't hear too much about, he went and he had a friend, and his friend's name was Simon. And Andrew cared enough and loved him enough and was bold enough to go and say, you got to meet Jesus. And Simon says, he, he, he says, okay, he follows him. And before he could even get a word out, Jesus meets him and changes Simon's life and says, your name's now going to be Peter, and I'm going to build my church on this rock. You're going to be a rock. And he had no idea. Simon had, no, uh, Andrew had no idea the future potential of Peter. And if you re- have read the Bible, you'd know Peter is one of the founders of the church. He's one of the disciples. He's one that, that so many came to faith in Christ. through. He became a powerful pastor and apostle and preacher We need to realize we have no idea the future plans that God has for someone. No one had any idea of what God had in store for me. And no one had any idea of what God had in store for you. And you have no idea of what God has in store for people that he's put in your life. And what their future could look like if they came into a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's amazing to consider. And God alone knows. And so we see that the challenge is for us to bring people to Jesus. Bring them so that they would experience exactly what we've experienced and what Jesus has done in us. And we learned that there are three steps to kind of how this works. And we see it in the Gospels, we see it in the Bible, we see it in our own lives. That The first one, and we, this is from last week's message, is proclamation. That people come to Jesus by hearing about him, by someone sharing, this is Jesus, and this is what he's done, and this is, um, he's died for your sins, and he has a plan for your life through, through the proclamation, the sharing of that news. The second way is through an invitation, Is through you caring enough just to say, hey, come and see. Come and experience what Jesus has done. And the final step in that is is revelation. And revelation means something is revealed. And for something to be revealed to them, that Jesus is Lord, that isn't something that you can do, that isn't something that I can do, that Jesus himself reveals himself to that individual in that moment. And so we do everything we can do, and we do steps one and two. We can share, we can talk, we can invite but Jesus alone is the one who reveals and changes people's hearts. He's changed my heart. Has he changed yours? Has he changed your life? And so if we do everything we can do and and he does everything he can do, then I'm believing that lives can be changed. People can have a hope and a future. Some of your friends, some of your loved ones, people that are near to you. I challenged you last week to consider people in your life that maybe are far from God right now or or don't normally come to a a church like this, uh, don't have a relationship with Jesus, I said, begin to pray for some people that you know in your life. And I called it the come and see three. Just thinking about three people in your life that you know right now you'd love for them to come and see Jesus. So you've been praying for them. Some of you might be here today because someone invited you to church. They might say, you know what, I want you to come and see what this is all about. And so if you're here today, I'm so glad that you're here today. And so we are, we are praying that, that you can just kind of see from God's word and experience exactly what the Lord has in store for each one of our lives. And so, again, we're glad that you're here with us. And as we move towards Easter, I'm believing that many will begin to come and experience what God has for them. And the goal of last week was to identify three people. That was the action we took. And then to begin to pray that God would meet them, that God would reveal himself to them, that God would work in their lives if they're walking through a challenging season. Today, we're going to get into God's Word. We're going to understand the next step in that journey, and we're going to look in John chapter 4. So would you open up with me to John chapter 4? It's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, then John. And at this point in time, last week, we learned about John the Baptist. He was one that went ahead of Jesus to prepare the way, and he had some disciples and some followers that he was baptizing and he was gaining along the way. But once Jesus came onto the scene and Jesus begins to go around and he's ministering and he's sharing and he's healing people and he's proclaiming the good news about who he is, people start to follow him. And a lot more people start to follow him than follow John the Baptist. John said, hey, it's not about me anymore. I, I was here to point to Jesus. Go follow him. And so as the religious people of the time started to hear this and started to notice that this guy named Jesus, a relatively unknown man, a teacher, a son of a carpenter is going around and he's teaching and he's healing people and, and all kinds of things are happening. The, the religious people of the time, they kind of get up in arms. They're, they're trying to figure out what is happening, what's going on here. The whole area and around Israel had been put into unrest because of what Jesus was doing. And so by the time we get to John chapter 4, it says Jesus knew. In John chapter 4, verse 1 that the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Although Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples baptized them. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. In verse 4 says he had to go through Samaria on the way. Now I want us to take a moment, I want us to understand why this is important to us today. Jesus was walking around, he was ministering, he was sharing, he was healing, he was meeting with people. And as Jesus went around doing all those things, one of the the really disturbing attributes about him was the kind of people that he was associating with. Now normally, priests and religious people and, and the Pharisees, the teachers of that time... They would associate with other religious people. They would associate with the Jewish people. They would associate with people who wanted to come to the church of that time, the temple, that would want to worship, that wanted to live their lives, right? But they really had no place for those that didn't have their lives together, those that were messed up, those that were sinners, those that were deceivers, those that were tax collectors and were taking advantage of people. And also those that were sick, uh, that had things like leprosy and diseases that that literally just made them an outcast of society. And so just like there can be in the world today, there were people living on the fringes of society. They were living as outcasts. And when Jesus came, if he was really a teacher and a religious person like they thought he was, then he would hang out with all the the religious people. He would hang out with all the sane people, all the good people. And instead, Jesus is hanging out with all the wrong people. He's going and he's spending time with sinners, with tax collectors. Jesus far, went as far as he's, he's associated, he's around a woman that's caught in the act of adultery. He's around people that are scandalous and no one would ever spend time with. In fact, it goes as far as to see where there's a man with leprosy. And lepers in that time, this is a very contagious disease and it, it disfigures a person terribly. And when someone had that, they were cast out of a community so that it wouldn't spread. They were seen as cursed from God, and instead Jesus goes to the leper, goes to the person with leprosy, and they say, what is he doing going near him? If he touches him, that man's going to make Jesus unclean, and quite the opposite happens. Jesus touches him, and instead of Jesus becoming like him, he becomes like Jesus and is healed instantly. People (laughs) start to say, what in the world is this guy has the power to bring sight back to the blind? And so people are, are not even sure what's going on, but they're troubled by the fact that Jesus continually is associating with the wrong kind of people. It's because he knew that God had a plan for their lives. And he knew that they needed to see God's love and experience it. And so many of their lives were changed, and they began to follow him, follow him with their whole lives. And this is why we need to understand that when we get to John chapter 4, verse 4 because it said he had to go through Samaria on the way. Now, I want to show you a map of Galilee and Judea. This is Galilee, then there's Samaria, then there's Judea. And when you look at the map and you say, if he was going from one place to the other, then, of course, he would have to go through Samaria along the way. It, it just makes sense. But do you see that white line, the white dotted line? Can you see that on the screen from where you're sitting? That was the way that the Jewish people would normally travel from one place to another. And you say, why would they take such a crooked line? The straight line would be much easier. The reason was is there was bad blood between the Samaritans and the Jewish people. It went back for hundreds of years. You see, the the Samaritans, they, they wanted to worship the same God as the Jewish people, but they wanted to kind of change some of the terms of what that relationship would look like. So they set up their own temple to worship over on a mountain. They refused to go to Jerusalem to worship they set their own rules, and, and before long, they, they got into such a tense feud with the Jewish people that the Jewish people went a couple hundred years before the time of Jesus, and they burnt down that temple that was on that mountain and destroyed it. So if you can imagine, there's some tension, and so the Jewish people would go out of their way to never have to walk through Samaria, even if it meant adding another day to their journey, just as long as they didn't have to go to Samaria. But what does the Bible say in John chapter 4, verse 4? Jesus had to go through Samaria along the way. Was it because Jesus was, was busy and running out of time and had to get there? Was it because it was the most direct route? I believe and I know from when we read this story, it's because God had a divine appointment for someone in Samaria. And Jesus is always willing to go wherever, wherever, to whatever length to reach the one that God's called him to reach. And so we learn a lot about Jesus having to go through Samaria along the way. Verse 5 says, if you continue to follow, that eventually he came to a Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob had given his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. And they're very famous from the Old Testament, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the Jacob that's being referred to here. And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was very tired from his long walk, and he sat wearily beside the well at about noontime. Now, noontime is very important here because noontime's the hottest time of the day. It's a time when when no one would ever be at a well. We learned this because my wife and I and a group of our young adults a few years back had the chance to go to Africa uh, on a missions trip. And we went there for the very reason to help bring water to villages and communities that did not have water. And so we watched firsthand in parts of South Africa and parts of West Africa how women would walk nearly a mile, sometimes two miles, with their children And they would carry water on their heads. And they would go to great lengths to go and get water and then carry it all the way back to their home just so they can give their children and their families what they would need. And so you would learn and you'd watch. Who's at the well in the morning? Everyone. Who's at the well at noontime? No one. Why weren't they there at noontime? Because it's too hot at noontime. Why would you burn all that energy? Why would you dehydrate yourself? Why would you put yourself through all that pain and trouble when you could go in the morning and in the early evening in the cool times of the day. But it says that it's noontime that Jesus shows up at the well and he's all alone. No one's there. Not for long. If We continue on to the next verse, verse 7. It says, Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Please will you give me a drink? Now this is strange on multiple counts. Number one, what's she doing at the well? People don't go to the well at noontime. People don't go to the well at the hottest time of the day. Jesus happened to be there because he was passing through. But why was she there? There's only one reason that you're going to go to a well at a time when no one else is going to be there because you know no one else is going to be there. Why put yourself through all that pain, all that torment, all, that, all, all those issues? Maybe it's because you don't want to be at the well when everyone else is at the well. Maybe there's some reasons that you want to be isolated from other people. This woman, she has a story. She has some reasons in her life maybe that she doesn't want to be seen at the well. We go to learn that this woman may have a reputation in this community, in this area. Whatever the reason, she's all alone at the well that day and I think she's expecting to be all alone for her visit. And for her to get there and to see none other than a Jewish man sitting there by the well had to be more than troubling to her. So she sees this man sitting there, and she's coming to get water. She's normally like, every time I do this, I'm alone. Here I am, this guy's sitting here. It's awkward. And then Jesus speaks to her and says, hey, will you give me a drink? And so all those feelings that are going through her come out of her mouth as we look in verse 8. I'm sorry, verse 9. It says, the woman was surprised, for the Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? She said, We don't associate together. We don't talk to one another. We don't get along. Why would you ask me for something to drink? And Jesus looks at her, and he said, Wrong answer. He replied, If only you knew the gift that God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would have asked me and I would have given you living water. So here's Jesus there with no bucket, looking tired from a journey, never been to this well before, and this woman comes all prepared with her bucket, with, her, with everything she needs to fetch water in a deep well. And he says, will you give me a drink? And she says, N- basically, no. Why are you even asking? And he says, well, if you knew the gift that God has in store for you today, and if you knew who you were talking to right now, you would have asked me and I would have given you living water. Now when Jesus used the word living water, that's water that, that is normally seen as coming from a spring of some kind. So you'd have two kinds of water. You'd have water that would be stagnant and that would normally be put in, into a well which would just basically be collected there like through rainwater or in any way and it'd be still water. And then you'd fetch that water and, and stagnant water is, is not in any way as good as living water. Living water, because it's continuing to move, it's fresher People would always prefer living water, moving water, like a stream, like a spring water, over wet water that's just been held inside of some kind of cistern or a well. And so he said, you would have asked me, and I would give you living water. So this woman at this point in time, she's thinking of everything very literally. She's looking at him. She's probably a little bit aggravated. Has anyone else ever been there when someone's talking to you, and you're getting kind of frustrated by what they're saying? She's saying, okay, so this guy doesn't have the... He asked me for a drink. Now he's telling me that I should ask him, And, and I, you know, so she's putting all this together. And I love the exchange because we can just read it in Scripture. And, and Jesus said that. And she said this, verse 11. But, sir, you don't even have a rope or a bucket. And this well is very deep. Where are you going to find some living water at? And besides, now she's getting a little bit offended. Do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob? who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Are you saying you're better than us, better than him? That you're gonna give us better, you have better water than the water that he enjoyed? And Jesus replies to her, and here's what he says. It's powerful. Because he's not just talking about some spring water. He's not talking about something a little bit better than the Fiji that you buy at Exxon, right? (laughs) He's talking about something much greater. He says to her, now you you have it all wrong. He said, everyone who drinks this water that you're drinking is going to be thirsty again. But everyone who drinks the water that I give him will never thirst again. In fact, the water that I can give him will well up to become a spring leading to eternal life. At this point in time, it's like, okay, this guy may not be talking about, about water anymore. Think about what Jesus is saying. He said, you keep coming back to the same old well. You keep coming back to the same old place. You keep dipping, and it never can fully satisfy you. And I want to tell you that that speaks on multiple levels because in the same way, we can often keep going back to the same old wells, the same old places, the same old watering holes, and we're fetching things that will somehow fulfill us, that will quench the thirst that is deep inside of us. I'm not talking just about a physical thirst, I'm talking about a spiritual thirst. I'm talking about something that you feel is missing in your life that you know, that you know that you know that it just isn't right. And you've been there at some point in your life or maybe you're there today, but you realize, man, I've been chasing after something to fill this void, fill this hole in my life. Something that can bring me fulfillment and purpose and peace. And so you go to these different wells. Whenever I was in Africa, I watched that when desperate people become more and more desperate, they're willing to compromise and reach out for anything that they can get their hands on to survive. And so as we would see these villages and these people that had no water, they had no water for miles. These women would see that, but they'd have crying children that were there and they'd watch their children becoming dehydrated, they themselves, and they'd realize there's that one watering hole where all those animals are but I know that everyone that goes there, they end up getting sick. But, but my kid's gonna die. I gotta go. And so they go there and they fetch water from a place that they knew wasn't right. A place that they knew wouldn't help them and they bring it back and they give it to their family and before long, they're all getting sick. They're getting cholera. Some of them are dying. But they're becoming desperate. They're just looking for something. This woman, when we understand about her life, She's a woman who has been living a life of sin, a life where she's been trying to find fulfillment in all the wrong places, and she's going again and again and again, but she's still thirsting for more. It's never quite satisfying her. And Jesus is there telling her, I have something for you that you'll never thirst again. You'll never long for those old things. Finally, you can be fulfilled I want to tell you that that's what happened in my life. I was chasing after all the wrong things to try to find a sense of fulfillment in my life. And it wasn't until I came to Jesus and finally had what he was offering that my life was really changed, made different completely. But oftentimes we can go to all those wrong places looking. Jesus said, whoever drinks this water, the water I'm offering will never thirst again. And now the woman's listening. And she's hearing it, and she's getting excited. She's getting desperate. She's realizing, okay, whatever he has, whatever he's offering, I'm buying it. Verse 15, please, sir, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to keep coming here to get water. I don't have to keep walking in the way that I'm walking. I don't have to keep feeling the shame of coming here in the middle of the day. Please, sir, give that to me. And Jesus then offers her an opportunity to experience that. And the first thing he does, is he speaks to her story. He says this to her, why don't you go get your husband? And in that moment, she has to realize, oh boy, he may know something about me. Maybe he's heard something about me. And so she says, well, I don't have a husband. Jesus said to her, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. And even the man that you're with right now, is not your husband. You're not even married to him. You are speaking the truth. So it's evident this woman has been living a wrong kind of life. She's had five husbands. She's living with a man that isn't her husband. She was trying to hide it, trying to cover it up. Jesus kind of got you. I never want to have that got you moment with him. That would be a rough one, right? Where you're like, well, let me just kind of fudge the, he's like, no, look, I know, I know your story. You know, you know those times that you can kind of put up a front, you can put up a facade, you can, you can kind of be a different person in front of different people. Are you following me? You can kind of blend in like a chameleon into whatever environment that you're at. And if you're at work, you're kind of like them. And if you're over here, you're kind of like them. And you can just kind of blend in and, and you can just put up those fake fronts about who you really are. Here's what you need to know today. Jesus sees through every one of them. You can do that with everyone else. You can even do it when you come to church. But here's what you need to know. When you stand in God's presence, he sees right through it. He sees who you really are. And for some of you, you may feel terrified by like, I don't want him to see who I am. Here's what you need to know today: Jesus knows your story. You don't have to fake it with him. You don't have to pretend with him. He knows your story. He knows right where you are. He knows what you've done. know he knows where you've been. And guess what? He still loves you. And guess what? He loves you right where you are. And he loves you so much he doesn't want you to continue in it. He loved this woman. He didn't know this woman. He didn't meet this woman. He, had, he didn't have someone say, hey, you've got to go meet her there. He, he loved her. He loved her before she ever knew him. And he loved and cared about her too much to let her continue in that way. And so he called her on it. He met her. He confronted her. And I'm sure that that would be uncomfortable. But through that love, it opened a door that would change her life forever. And so the lady, she's dealt this news that, okay, he knows my story. He knows me. She says, well, it's evident that you're a prophet. You're someone that hears from God. And then she just changes the subject and wants to start talking about something else. She says, well, tell me then, if you're a prophet, what about this worship? Do we worship here on the mountain? Do we worship in Jerusalem? You guys say we have to worship in Jerusalem. We say the mountain. I don't understand what's right and what's wrong. Jesus then goes on to speak to her. He says, look, you don't know. You don't understand. You know very little. He says, salvation comes through the Jewish people. But here's what you need to know. I tell you the truth. The time is coming. Verse 23, it is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father's looking for those who will worship Him in that way. God is spirit, and so those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Many have gone on to say that these are some of the most beautiful words ever shared on the subject of worship by Jesus, and He chose to disclose them to a woman at the well with five husbands and a man who is not her husband. A woman who is the farthest from someone that a Jewish person should be associating with. And she shares with him, she hears from him these words about worship, about the truth of what God's looking for. She then goes on to say, well, one day we heard, it says in the Bible that the Messiah is going to come. And when the Messiah is coming, this is verse 25, she said, I know the Messiah is coming. One day someone's going to come. And when he comes, the one that is called to Christ, he's going to explain everything to us. He'll make it all very known. And Jesus then says to her, I am the Messiah. Can you imagine with me that the guy who had been talking to her, the guy who she turned down when he asked for a cup of water, He says, I am the Messiah. Jesus chose to reveal himself to her in that moment so that her life would be changed. And her life was changed forever. And from that moment, from that moment, she would never, ever be the same. Now in that moment, the disciples then show up and they kind of walk in on this scene and it says the disciples returned and they found Jesus talking to this woman and they're thinking, what's going on? What's happening right now? This is awkward. Why are you talking to a Samaritan woman? Jesus talking to her because he, he went there to reach her, to meet her. He knew her story, and he was there to change her story. And it says then, at that moment, this is where it's so powerful. It said, the woman, at once, verse 28, she left her water jar beside the well, and she ran back to the village, and she told everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? And so the people came streaming from the village to see him. God came into her life at a moment when she would have never expected. He did something she could have never anticipated. And Jesus changed her life forever. Here's what I want you to know today. You and I, we're just like that woman. We're just like that person You are someone. I am someone that at one point in time or another, I was far from God. I did not have a relationship with God. But praise God that he met me in a moment and he changed my life forever. Because here's what you need to know today. You have a Samaria. You have a Samaria. You have a place that God had met you had called you, a place that you were far from God, a place that you used to live your old life, a place that you would never want to go back to in a thousand years. You have a Samaria. You have that place. You have a story. That's the second thing. You actually see these on the screen. You have a Samaria, and you have a story. And, most importantly you have a Savior. You and I, we have a Savior that has saved us. And whenever we meet him, he changes our story and he calls us to go back to Samaria. So often, this is what happens in our lives. The longer we spend with Jesus after we come to know him, the more our lives are changed by him. But something has happened so often in our lives, something takes place that I think it, it goes against what we're seeing inside of this story. Because we have a Samaria. We have a place that God has called us from. He's rescued us from. It's an old life. It's an old place. It's a place where we could feel and say, you know what? I'm in church right now, Pastor. I think about my old life, and, and man, it, it shames me. I, I feel so embarrassed by the way I used to live. And, and, you know, is there anyone else there with me, right? How could I have ever been that way? And now that I know God, I, ugh. You have a Samaria. You have a place. And you have friends that are probably there that, man, if they saw you today and they, they knew who you were, they'd say, what happened to you? You have a story of who you were before you met Jesus. But if you have a Savior today, if Jesus has saved you, then he has changed your story. He's given you a new story, and he's given you a calling. And a part of that calling, you ready, is to go back to Samaria. A part of that calling is to go back to the place that he called you from so that others would come and see. That's exactly what happened in the woman's story. Many of us, you know what we do? We run out of Samaria. We run out of the place. We say, you know what, I'm never going back there again. I don't want to, I don't want to see that. I want to get as far away as possible. That woman, she could have picked up her water jar, left it behind, and she could have followed Jesus to wherever the next town was that he was going. She could say, now I'm going to be your follower. But what did she do instead? You following me, church? What did she do instead? She ran back to Samaria. And she said, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. God's calling us back. Where's your Samaria? Where's the place God called you from? Where's the place God calls you to today so that your story can go? And when people see your life, just as they saw her life, they can say, what has happened to her? Could this be that same woman? I have to go and see with my own eyes this God that has changed her life. And they came, the Bible says in verse 39, many Samaritans came from the village and they believed in Jesus because of what the woman said. He told me everything I ever did. And when they came to see him, they begged him to stay in their village and he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. And then they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, because we've seen it for ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. God has a way of calling people, not just out of their old life, but there are times that he'll then send you back to that place that he saved you from so you can see others come to know him. Are you following me, church? One of the great examples is Nikki Cruz. David Wilkerson, years ago, went into Times Square, the heart of New York City, the heart of drugs and gangs. And he went there with a mission to see people's lives changed and set free. One of those people that came to Christ was Nikki Cruz. He had been a gang member, a drug dealer. He had a terrible life, a terrible story. But God changed him. He met him there in his Samaria, saved him out of it, changed his life, changed his story. And then what happened? He went right back. And he didn't go back to make more mistakes. He didn't go back to make a deal. He didn't go back to join a gang. He went back as someone who said, you know what? God has changed my story. You don't have to live here anymore. Come, there's a hope and a future waiting on the other side of a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what happens. That's the power of what happens when God sends us back to the places. The places people used to know you. the, people, please, please, uh, the I'm getting my tongue tied. The place that people used to walk with you and knew who you were so they can see who you've become and how Christ has made that difference that you have a samaria you have a story and you have a savior and he's changed everything and so today I want to I want to give you an opportunity to take the next step in our in our journey because I've given you a challenge last week to begin to pray lord who have you called me to and today you're asking lord where are you calling me where have you called me to where is my samaria how have you used my, How can my story be used to change someone else's life? And Lord, how will you open the doors for that to take place? As, as a next step in our journey, we want you to begin to pray about inviting someone to a special event that we're going to be having. Ultimately, I would love for you to invite those people that you've identified on that list. I'd love you to invite them to Easter here at Evangel. But before that, I know that there are some people that are in your lives that they would never... Take on that invitation to come to a church service. Maybe they say, you know what, that's too foreign for them. Here's my question. If you invited them to a movie, would they come to a movie in a movie theater with you? So here's what we're going to do. We want to equip you with a special tool. There's a new movie that just came out in theaters. It's a powerful movie. It's called Risen. Has anyone seen it? Yeah. Come on, someone give a shout out to it. I saw it. My heart, my heart over, was overwhelmed when I saw it. It's a story. And it's told through the eyes of a guard that is meant to guard the tomb of Jesus. And whenever the body goes missing, this man is, has to be the one to find it. What I want to do is I want to show you the trailer for this movie, and then I'm going to share some exciting news with you. So let's roll that trailer right now before we close out our service. And uh, We believe that as, as I saw it as I talked with Mandy, we believe it's a perfect tool for this Easter season for you to use. And so, ushers, would you come and begin to distribute those? What you're gonna be receiving today is a card. What we've done is we've talked with a movie theater in our town, Westfield, and we've rented out the entire theater for two days to have two showings of this movie in two weekends from now, okay? On the 19th and the 20th of this month, it's the Saturday and Sunday of Palm Sunday, the week before Easter, we're gonna give you the opportunity to find a friend to find someone that God puts on your heart and invite them to come with you to see this movie. And we're believing God's going to use this as a great tool for their heart to be open for their for their eyes to be open for them to really see what happens and how Jesus changes everything. And so today here's the deal. If you'd like to come to that movie, no one's coming alone. This isn't free tickets for the whole church. This isn't for our benefit. It's for the benefit of those that we want to reach. Amen? And so here's is: If you bring someone with you, then both your tickets are free. If you both come, then both your tickets are free. And so here's a great way for you to go to a friend and here's what you say to them. Hey, my church has rented out a movie theater and is is giving out some some tickets to go see this great movie that just came out. The only catch is I have to bring someone with me that doesn't only come to our church. So would you come and would you be my guest so that we can both go see this movie together? That sounds like a pretty good invitation, right? And believe me, it's going to be an awesome time. We're going to enjoy it together. Uh, we're going to believe God to do a great work through it. So you're going to take this card, and this week I want you to pray. Lord, who are you putting in my life? Who is at least that one person that I could give that invitation to that would come and see? They'd come and see you, Lord. That, they're, that this could be a part of their journey, of their heart being opened by them seeing this movie. And seeing it through the eyes of an unbeliever and finally realizing that you rose from the dead. And so as you get through this week, I want you to pray. And then you put your information on the front of the card. And then on the back, you're going to fill out the information for the person that's attending with you, that you're going to be bringing with you. And then next Sunday morning, we're going to have tickets available here. And believe me, we're going to have limited space, so we want you to do this. We want you to take advantage of it. We want you to begin to pray and begin to do that as soon as possible because we're believing we're going to fill those theaters on both those showings. Amen? And so you fill that. You come. You're going to get those tickets. And you'll exchange this part here on Sunday. Next Sunday, you'll give this in. You'll receive your tickets. You can then take this back. You'll write down, confirm, make sure you have the time. Everything's set. And you bring this back and give it to your friend and say, here's a reminder. I'll see you there on that day. We can't wait to see the movie together. And we believe that as we do this, as we invite people to come and see in this special way, that God's going to open some amazing doors this Easter season. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to pray as we close out. And I want you to hold that card in your hand. And uh, if you say, I didn't get a card or I only have one card, and I want to try to invite a second friend, um, invite everyone that you can. And when you come next week, you can try to sign them up and we'll make sure we have room. But, uh, But take this card in your hand and I want you to begin to pray. Lord, put that person on my heart. Put that person in my path. Lord, show me who it is that would come and see with me this Easter season so they could experience who you are. Lord Jesus, we come before you today and we thank you. We thank you for the power, Lord God, of your love that reaches out, Lord God. I thank you, Lord, that you have gone, Lord. You've gone to the Samarias, to the places where no one else would go. And you saved people that no one else thought was worth saving, Lord. You redeemed their lives. And Lord, those people who Lord, at one point in time were filled with shame, that didn't want to talk to anyone, you open their mouths, Lord God, and you send them into the world as witnesses. Lord, I thank you in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when you say to your disciples, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses, and you will go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Lord, thank you that you have sent us to Samaria. And thank you that you're calling us back today, Lord. Lord, may we answer that question, Lord, where are you calling me? And Lord, how are you calling me to share my story and to invite someone to come and see you? So, Lord, we hold this card in our hand, this opportunity, this tool. May it be just that, Lord God, an instrument for your will to be accomplished in their life. And Lord, we pray for those who may never uh, come to a church service, that would never step foot here, Lord God. May this become that place where their hearts are open, Lord God, and where they take another step in their journey of coming into relationship with you. Lord, we pray that you would lead each one of us to those individuals that you have ordained for us, Lord God, and that we would see that place filled, many people's hearts open, Lord God, and as we come to Easter Sunday, that we would see many more lives changed in your kingdom, redeemed by your grace. Lord, we commit this to you now. We pray you'd meet us in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Are you excited for this opportunity? You don't want to miss it. So again, come next week. Come ready. Come with your ticket. Uh, Come early. Come to first service. Uh, And so make sure that you can secure that. And we'll look forward to all that God has in store. We're going to have our altar workers here. If you need prayer, our prayer team will be in the front. We're going to close in a final song. You're free to go as God releases you. God bless you. We'll see you again next week.